This is Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us, as a people, what it means to live under your great and your good authority. That we would understand that how you speak about the scriptures is true. And how you want to reset and refocus us on the things that we are supposed to see is right. And that we would live in a way that gives you great glory as we live out the great joy you have placed in us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing an expository series. Expository means verse by verse. We are going through Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. A couple years ago, we went through Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. That's more commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. That took us 45 weeks. So three chapters, 45 weeks. Now I'm doing two chapters, and it's going to be 15 weeks. So I have been to rehab, <clears throat> and I'm getting a little bit better. Uh, what we're going to do, uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount, I mentioned that at some point we'd probably do this and talk about Jesus' authority because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone is astounded with the way that Jesus spoke as someone who had such authority. And Matthew 8 and 9 will go on to detail all these different ways that Jesus showed this authority by what he said and by what he did. Uh, we have been through nine of these. We have eight before today. If you missed any of those, you've got to go online and watch them or listen to them because I don't have time to rehash all of them today. Open your Bibles to Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. What happens today is that Jesus is going to get a question about the law and his seeming breaking of it, or maybe not adhering as closely to it as some of those who saw themselves really devout. Uh, last week we saw this idea that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Today you're really going to see the idea that God is a God of grace and not law and the difference in those things. The verses we looked at are also found in Luke chapter 5. What Jesus does is he's going to explain an answer to a question in what is called a parable. Parables are simply illustrations that could be stories that used to convey deeper meanings. Uh, the Greek world loved parables. The word parable actually comes from a Greek source, and it's illi any illustration or brief narrative. Kind of like any Pixar movie today that you go and watch. You could be a good dinosaur. You could be help your friends. Ohana means family. Does anybody watch cartoons but me? Yay! Okay, oh, and, and parents of little kids. I see you there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you are a toy! All right, maybe that. So rabbis, they actually used this idea of parables for years and years. They actually called it Agada. I know you're thinking, sounds like a rock and roll song, in it, Agada, Davida, in D minor, but it's not. Agada is this idea of parables. That's what, they, that's what they called it. It's storytelling. They used it really as broadly as possible. And so it had this whole idea of a fictitious narrative that might naturally occur or something that, that didn't naturally occur, but you could make a kind of story out of it that would convey spiritual matters. It could be something that was as long as the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is like 20 verses, or it could be something as simple when Jesus says in Matthew 6, consider the lilies of the field. Something as simple as that. Or as simple as Luke 12, consider how the wildflowers grow. When Jesus says those things, it's not like, hey man, let's go look at the flowers. What, what he's saying is, do you see this normal everyday thing that you walk past all the time? There's more to this. And it speaks to the nature of God and the kingdom of God and what God wants to do in mankind. And so it wasn't that just Jesus walked around using stories because he couldn't figure a better way to preach. It's that this idea of these narratives had been around for ages with the rabbis. So Jesus uses word pictures to help us understand more of God, the world that he made and how we live in it. And to give you a heads up about today, what we're going to talk about today is very Jewish. 
It's very Jewish, and so I'm going to try and get you guys to the place where you understand really what's going on with it. It might be kind of hard. I'm going to keep going like you're following. You understand this. I'll say the same words a couple times, but hopefully get you to the place where you're like, yes, new wineskins are better. Like, what? I have no idea what that even means, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Jesus is going to extol the virtue of true Judaism, uh, what it was meant to become, and a faith centered in and around the Messiah, which is him. So Jesus will be asked a question, and, but he will never answer the question directly because what he will do is he'll point to something much broader and deeper than the answer to that question. So there's this guy I'm related to. He does the exact same thing all the time. You ask him a question, he never answers the question. He only just asks the question back. He's, I, says, I say, why do we He's a farmer. Why do we water the field like that? And he says, well, how would you water it? And I'm like, I don't know. That's why I'm asking the question. I'll say, why do you trade in your work trucks every three years? He goes, well, how often would you trade them in? I'm like, I don't know. That's why I'm asking the question. <laughs> I say, why does chicken manure smell so bad? And he goes, well, how should it smell? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I don't, it's maddening. But that's because we're from a Western mindset. In a Western mindset, we ask questions, we're supposed to get answers back. But for rabbis, this is normal. Rabbis would teach in a way that made you think deeper than what was actually going on on the surface. So when Jesus doesn't technically answer their question, it's not that he's being mean, it's not that he's being sarcastic and far from not giving answers. His answers are going much deeper than to what they were looking at, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. So Matthew 9, verse 14 starts like this. Then the disciples of John, that's John the baptizer, not John, Jesus' disciple, different guys. Disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And I know it doesn't really sound like a question. It sounds more like an accusation, kind of like when you're growing up and you did something wrong and your parents thought it was you but couldn't prove it was you. So they gave you enough rope to hang yourself. Like, Aaron, how'd this get broken? Who did this? I'm like, I don't know. Why do you ask me? Why are you looking at me? I told them not to let me touch it. And then, oh, done, right? Said too much, hung myself. Jesus knows what they're asking. Why do your disciples not fast like these other people? Really, the question is, do you think that you are better than us? That's the question. That's the question. And a lot of people call this section, some of your Bibles may even have a heading that says, the question about fasting. In the end, this has nothing to do with fasting whatsoever. So let me just break this down for you so we can kind of follow what's going on. The idea of fasting in a biblical sense is where you would go without something, typically food, in order to try and focus better on connecting or reconnecting with God. Most people, again, as I said, do this with food. They set themselves a time frame, one day, five days. I think I'm very spiritual because I fast eight hours every night when I sleep. Fasting, for me, goes very slow. I think they should actually call it slowing. And I got a theological reason for it, because they're supposed to slow down and listen to God. So we should call it slowing. You shouldn't call it fa- I, It means to hold fast to something, but oh my goodness. It's, I, when I don't eat, I get crabby. Not like the Hulk crabby, more like politician crabby, where I just talk incessantly and I'm offended by everything. That's what happens when I get hungry. Just like that. It's terrible. This is why fasting can actually mean more than just food. It can be anything that draws your attention away from who God's calling you to be. So you set certain things aside for a bit to focus better on Him. People have fasted from movies or ice cream or video games or cookies or coffee. Like, what? Yeah, sometimes coffee. People have fasted from dating. Some people have fasted from speaking. I think the head of parliament in the UK right now, I have no idea why this is a news story, but she's fasting from potato chips. I don't, I don't get it, but anyway. It's anything you can do without to help you to focus more time on God. 
And don't think you can go to your boss and say, hey, I'm going to be really spiritual. I'm going to fast from work. We call that laziness. That's a sin. So don't do that. Do it on your day off. We should focus not so much on the question, but more on Jesus' answer. And Jesus said to them, verse 15, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus responds to this fasting accusation by telling about a groom that has come to his wedding, and it's this great joy, and he talks about wineskins, and he'll talk about garments. And Jesus' intent for his readers like us and his hearers at this time was to go on a path of discovery where we would say this very Jewish statement that fresh wineskins are better. Like I said, you don't get it yet. Hopefully by the end, if I do my job, you'll get it. And you'll be like, yes, fresh wineskins are better. Or you'll look at me like I need to go to the podcast again. So Jesus is talking about this party. It's full of joy because he is here. He has arrived. He is the great groom that has arrived for his bride, the church. It is beautiful. But all these people are focusing on is their fasting. Their focus is off the mark. Jesus is going to talk about fasting, but so much more. Kind of like when we pray. We, we pray and we go, God, I'd like this and God this and God. And we never take any time to stop and listen to what he wants to say. And if we would take some time just to be quiet and listen and get still, we could learn so much more. So when Jesus answers this question, this accusation, he's going to point to redemption and reconciliation of mankind and his desire for salvation for his people. If you don't know, in a Jewish liturgical calendar in the course of a year, there are lots of feast days and fast days. And when you get to these fast days, it could be a very worshipful day for you or a very cranky day, depending upon how you approach this thing. As an example, there is this holiday. It is called Yom Kippur. Anybody heard of it? Yes. Probably saw it on your calendar. You thought, that's a Dr. Seuss holiday right there. No. <laughs> No, it comes out of Deuteronomy or Leviticus 16, and it's the Day of Atonement. Brad Young writes this, The Day of Atonement absolves from sins against God, but not from sins against a fellow human, unless the pardon of the offended person be secured. What that means is, sins against God, you would go to the temple, you would sacrifice, you would atone for those sins, but the sins against your brother would still be there. You'd still have to carry that. So there became this thing where you would start and you would fast before the Day of Atonement, and you would go and you would seek reconciliation with your neighbors and your friends or people who have offended you, who have, you have offended. On the eve of Yom Kippur, you would have the fast day. It was to remind you, let go of your anger. God has sought you. God has loved you. God wants to bring you in. Do the same thing for others. So you have this 25-hour fast to remember what God has done. He has provided for us so we spend time with him and refocusing of our lives so we would go out and then reconcile with others. And some people today say, well, that'd be great. We need a Yom Kippur in it now. No, you don't. What you need is you need Jesus. That's it. He paid for our sin. He's restored us to relationship with God. You don't need a special day for that because every day as a Christian, that's supposed to be how you get up. You remember what God has done for you. You remember how he has rescued you and how he has saved you. And that should change how we live every single day. We should not get offended so quickly. We should not hold grudges against others. We should not see ourselves as better than other people. It would spur us on to see all people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. But these people, they are focusing on their fasts. So you have the disciples of John. They connect themselves with the Pharisees. Both of them really wanted to see spiritual renewal, but they showed that spiritual renewal by their outward show. 
You have the disciples of John the baptizer. They did this by baptism. But baptism was supposed to be a baptism towards repentance. But they focused more on the baptism than the repentance. And so they started to focus more on the fasts than what the fasts were supposed to do in their lives. They say, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? At this time, both the Pharisees and the disciples of John the baptizer had made up new fasts. It's like, it's not, you didn't have enough in the Old Testament. Now we're going to make up some more that you got to do. Really? You want us that cranky? Really? It's what you want to do? They have more fast. But it was a way to try to bring forward a spiritual awareness for people. And they look at Jesus. And as they saw it, he's spearheading a brand new movement. So they wanted to know, why don't you do our fast? Why don't you do what we do? And if you don't know, this happens in spiritual movements all the time. I tell you this a lot. The reason it happens is because we're all wicked. That's why it happens. Pride is almost impossible to stamp out. Many people get to a point in their lives where like, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do all these things. And we look around at everyone else around us like, why aren't they doing the same thing I'm doing? And we get so irritated because we think we're doing so much better than they are. And we do this from everything, from reading scripture to prayer to fasting to I'm going to watch TV less. I'm going to be really involved in a gospel community. I'm going to play video games less. I'm going to dump country music. I'm going to go paleo or gluten-free, whatever the new thing is this week. Whatever it is, we're like, oh, and then we look at everybody else. We're like, how dare those people live like that, like I was living last week? How dare they? I cannot tell you how many emails and phone calls and in my office meetings I have with people who essentially say, why aren't more people committed like me? They don't use those words, okay? But that's exactly what they're saying. I have actually had someone say to me, Aaron, you aren't in your job well enough. If you did your job better, everyone would be in a gospel community. They would love Jesus. And I translate that as heaven would come to earth and element would have no more problems. <laughs> you may think it sounds crazy, but everybody does it. You've probably done it and not even realized it because you're a Pharisee. <sighs> I'm going to cut down my counseling load right now. Take care of all of you right, right here. When you become laser focused on something that is not Jesus, you start to wonder why everybody else isn't as laser focused as you on that thing. We call that pride. That's a sin. Satan got kicked out of heaven for it. You're just like Satan. You're welcome. Wake up call. There you go. For this group, it's fasting. And any number of groups have this today. Everybody has their own thing. When I became a Christian, I was 17 years old, and it was in this Nazarene church, so I can make fun of them. So the Nazarene church, when I became a Christian, they gave me a Bible and a handbook to go along with it. The handbook was not, this is how you interpret the Bible. The handbook is like, no dancing, no going to movies. I'm like, whoa, what did I just get myself into? What? I love movies. Not, I'm cool with not dancing, but the movies, you know. Pentecostals, right? Pentecostals. Women can't cut their hair. I don't know. Maybe they can't look too butch. I don't know what the deal is. You, you got to wear long dresses. The guys can wear whatever they want. Who made that up, right? Baptists, so I'm going to make fun of some of you. you know, I know. I know I got some of you in here, right? Rock and roll, no alcohol, don't hold hands, no PDA. What? I, I didn't say you had to be a Baptist. I'm just saying, okay? Fundamentalists? I don't even know why they call themselves fundamentalists, because fun is nowhere in anything they do. Right? That's Jehovah's Witnesses? What? You go door to door, you got to go to church five, four or five days a week. Can you imagine? I would kill you. I, I would, all of you, right? Quakers? Yeah. 
Quakers, it's like no military service, that's how you show allegiance. And today there are groups you can only be a part of if you like guns or don't like guns, if you're a progressive or a constitutionalist, if you know about the plight in the Sudan or you swear out the internet. And all of these things are causes. That's all that they are. None of them are Jesus. We get so easily distracted by things that are not Jesus. And as the great psychologist Bob Newhart said, stop it! Look it up on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Stop it. For this group, it is their new fast. This is our fast. You've got to do it. But Jesus' disciples didn't observe their fast. How dare they not observe their fast? And so Jesus gives two little short parables, these illustrations, to explain the deeper truths of what was really supposed to be happening. Still with me? All right. Verse 15, Jesus said, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. That's a euphemism for death. And then they will fast. So Jesus says, Well, I am with you. I'm the Messiah. I have shown up. I am rescuing and redeeming. There's no reason for my disciples to carry on with your crazy new fast that you're doing. I'm the groom. I've arrived for my bride. This is celebration. And he contrasts that with the funeral in the same sentence so that people would understand what's going on. He's taking the most joyous time in a Jewish mind, a wedding, and the most sad time, which is a funeral, and he contrasts them against each other, these two extremes. The first thing he says, though, is I am here, my redemptive mission to save people. That mission should bring joy. And to accomplish that, though, there is going to be sorrow. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. The word is in the Greek, portends death. Jesus says, when I die, when I die. The point is Jesus is talking about the task of the Messiah, the mission of his ministry. Isaiah 53, 8 says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. The Messiah would come. The Messiah would die. He would be a suffering servant. I think this section is more properly called. Jesus speaks about his suffering and his death for us, to redeem us, to restore us. We call it authority because Jesus is going to fulfill the law for us to bring us back to God. Jesus is showing his interpretation of the scriptures is true. It is right. It is what they always pointed to. He is right every single time. Time. So often we want to change what Jesus says so it lines up with what we want to believe. We have to change our view to line up with what he actually said. Jesus speaks about these things. He is coming. He is going to die. He will rise from the grave and then he will make us into new creations, new wineskins. We'll get there. You'll know what this means. He talks about renewed wineskins for this fine old wine. And that fine old wine is the Jewish faith. He essentially will say that God's views have never changed. There isn't a new set of laws for the New Testament. It's that everything finds its fulfillment in him. He accomplishes everything. Verse 16, he says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. I know you're like, what? What do you mean? I'll explain it to you. When Jesus speaks of old wine, he is speaking about this ancient Jewish 
faith and practices. John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees, they had these new fast days, and they were encouraging people to identify with the fast and with their movement and not necessarily the God behind the movement. We do this today. We have T-shirts and bands and stickers we stick on our car and clubs and denominations and, and pithy slogans, and they all point to a thing and not necessarily to Jesus. So Jesus compares new feasts, all these things we try to do, with trying to stick a patch on an old garment. When you wash that, that patch is going to shrink and it's going to tear your garment even worse. That's why I think today there are so many people disillusioned with Christianity. Because so many people make Christianity into a set of rules, into new fasts. Whatever it is. Well, what's a Christian? Well, I don't drink or smoke or cuss. Well, is that a Christian? I work hard at my job. Well, is that what makes a Christian a Christian? I raise my kids. Okay, well, what, what makes a Christian a Christian? It's not your politics. It's not all these things. What makes a Christian a Christian is Jesus. Christianity is not about new fasts. It's the truth of this ancient faith that God promised a Savior who would come and remove what stood against us, against God, our crimes, our sin. And Jesus comes and he does just that. A Christian is someone whose life is found in Jesus, and that's it, period. And we're not about finding new rules and new fasts or new whatever. We're about Jesus. And Jesus says, rather than all this stuff you guys are trying to make you do to feel more spiritual, you must return to what is best, God's salvation of you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He goes, I didn't come to do away with God's words. I came to show you what it looks like when they're lived out perfectly. I came to put flesh on the words. And Christians today tend to think that Jesus did away with Judaism. And he clearly says that's not the case. In the most basic sense, Jesus is saying God wants these fresh wineskins for this new covenant because it's a fulfillment of all that he has been doing, the new covenant found in Jesus. This is why in Christianity we use words like born again. It means the same thing. We are new creations in Christ. Same thing. Here, the euphemism, the wording he's using is new wineskins. New wineskins are better. Okay, I'm still going to get you there. Okay. True grace of this ancient faith is renewed for all men. Women and women embrace this ancient faith of what God has always been doing. Who is the point of the ancient faith? Jesus! Yes! One of you. You're in church. I tell you, half the time you're going to arrive, you're out Jesus. Jesus. The parable is about Jesus. Jesus says, old wine is good. It is good. It teaches the way of faith in the one and only true God. But the old wine needs fresh wineskins. They need to be renewed. This is about redemption and restoration. Men and women must be made new to hold this old wine of, re, of true relationship with God, with this new freshness that he brings in. Do you know that new things have a new smell? They get a new book. It smells like a new book. A baby smells like a new human. A, a puppy smells like a new dog. They just, oh, I love puppy smell. Love baby smell too, but you know, that sounds creepy. But uh, <laughs> new cars, new cars have a smell. They got that new car smell. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Means that we are new people. New wineskins means new creation. It's not a different God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The same God fills us. We serve the same God. Hebrews 13, verse 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8 The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Sometimes people will study the words of the Bible but fail to understand what God is actually saying. 
Jesus is making some very positive statements about Judaism. And some people have tried to change or reinterpret this, but Jesus is saying very clearly that Judaism leads to what we call Christianity today. It, it comes out of that. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that was taking place in the Old Testament. I mean, it is a rich heritage that we are supposed to embrace. We are the fulfillment of God's promises. Those that trust in Jesus believe a very distinctly Jewish message that God set out on a rescue mission from the book of Genesis to rescue and save us. Brad Young says, Jesus is speaking about his purpose. He came to bring renewal and redemption through the power of the kingdom of heaven. His purpose was not to destroy the significance of the Torah, but to fulfill it. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, Practically, anybody in here drink wine? Don't be afraid of your element. It's okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, what? It's church. Okay. All right. Now, what is better, new wine or aged wine? And when I say aged wine, I mean properly aged. Not like your buddy brought it over and you didn't drink it all, so you put a cork in it and stuck it in your fridge for like a year. Right? Aged, right, real aged wine, right, aged wine is better. This is how the rabbis would relate the truth of God through the entire Old Testament to this idea of how wine ages and how it sits and how it grows better and more bold. They would say as you study the scriptures and it sits deep and it grows deeper within you, the knowledge of that scripture changes your life. In the Talmud they write this, one does not feel the taste of wine at the beginning, but the longer it grows old in the pitcher, the better it becomes. Thus also the words of the Torah, the scriptures, the longer the longer they grow old in the body, the better they become. Jesus desired to make us into new wineskins, a revitalized people that are redeemed, that are restored, that hold all that God was always doing to rescue and save us because fresh wineskins are better. And everyone can be one. Jesus! <laughs> Always the point. Jesus' authority to redirect us to what God is doing with his mission, ours. He fulfills the law. He's the one that's the perfect Lamb of God that we can never be. He died for our sin, which we can never atone for. He restores relationship with God. We are to be a people who are found living in him, a life full of goodness and grace that Jesus makes all things new, like new wineskins, even us. This is what we're called into. And I believe as believers in Jesus, if you are a believer, we need to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. We must be reading the scriptures so we can grow deep. And that faith that will grow deep and bold and strong and, and it's a flavor and aroma to God and to those around us. But the point is not all the things we can and should do. The point is always Jesus. Again, Jesus desired a revitalization of the faith, fresh wineskins to hold all that he was doing, a renewed people who will live in the truth of the good news of what God was and is doing. And the question for us becomes, are we prepared? Is that what we really want in our lives? Are we prepared to be this new wineskin that holds all that God wants to place in our hands? And the real answer is no, we're not. We're not. But the beauty is, it's why he does it for us. It's why he is the one that brings the renewal. It is why he is the one that makes us into new wineskins. Because our faith is not about us. Our faith is about him. Our faith is about him. It's mercy, not sacrifice. It's grace, not law. It's that fresh wineskins are better. Fresh wineskins are better. This, this is the idea that, that I think that fresh wineskins, if we get people to understand it, is a much better representation of what Christianity is supposed to be than the terms born again. 
I think it's, I think it's better than new creation. Because if you have a wine skin, or, okay, if you have a bottle of wine, okay, if you have a wine skin, and, and that thing is full, and say you go out, say, actually, say you go out and you buy a bottle of wine, right? And it's like, oh, this is the best wine. And if you're not an alcoholic and just tend to drink it all by yourself, what do you want to do with that? You want to share it. One of the people are like, man, this is, this is so good. This is sea smoke. It's, it's great. It's wonderful. Other people need to taste this. This is amazing. And you share it. That's the idea, I think, of why Jesus talks about new wineskins. Because you have wine and wineskins. What do you do? You share it. You pour it back out. You are meant to be fresh wineskins. Bam! Golly. You're such Americans. Uh, <laughs> fresh wineskins are better because we pour out all that God has done in us. It is beautiful. Every blessing he gives you, you pour back out. Everything that comes into your life is poured back out to other people. In one, in glory and praise to God, and secondly, to other people who are around you. We are to be those fresh wineskins, and the only way we do that is because of what Christ has first done for us. This is why we talk about communion. Communion is where you break that cracker like Christ's body has been broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, or it reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me, so that everything that stood between us and God and us and each other is taken care of in the person of Jesus. We are renewed. We are restored. We are called fresh and new wineskins, and God pours out all that he is into us. And we get to become a people who pour that back out again as well. And joy, and great joy, because the flavor of it is so amazing of what God has done in and for us that we can, can't do anything but pour it back out. Have you tasted the wine that God has given to me? You're like, no. You should. <laughs> you pour it back out. It's amazing. Uh, where am I? Oh, the band's going to come up. <laughs> As they do, we're going to invite you to take communion. Uh, like I said, uh, if you want to take communion, be Dickens in the back. And if you need prayer, maybe you feel like your life is about trying just to hug and hold on to your own faith. And you're never giving it away. You're never talking or pouring it back out. They love to talk to you about that, about the joy that comes from knowing who Jesus is and what he has done. So that we would be a people who understand that, yes, born again, new creation, fresh wineskins. They're all euphemisms for what God is doing in and through us. And we want to be a people who have Jesus live in and through us. You know, we are told to be daily filled with the Spirit of God. Why? Because we're always pouring back out. We're always pouring back out. We're always living on mission. We're always speaking about Him. We're always having that joy that He's done in us poured out to other people. Fresh wineskins are better. Thank you. There's offering boxes in the sidewall on the back. And you guys, we would love for you to be able to give. We do not pass the plates. response to what God has done. So it's part of our worship. There's food in the back. Uh, Joyce Snyder, she made some uh, homemade cookies last night. She was telling me all about it. And I wonder if you guys ate them all. Are they gone? Oh, yeah. What? Oh, okay. So eat as many. She saved me some. So eat as many as you want. I'm good. I was going to have to tackle some of you down and take it away. I'd be like, fresh cookies are better. I mean, fresh wineskins are better. Grab something to eat. Meet some other people. And maybe start to talk through some of this about how God is calling you to be poured out to people around you. And maybe you don't want to. Maybe you're trying to keep the stopper in the wine so you don't have to pull, uh, pour it out. How God is leading people into your life that you would then be able to pour into. How God is calling you to give away what he has already done in you. 
Our God is great and good and gives us lives of such joy and grace. We should be a people who pour that back out so the world would know how good he is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would teach us how to live and be these fresh wineskins, that every blessing you give to us, we do pour back out again, that we would honor you by how we live and give, and that everything that comes into our lives, we would look for ways to give that back away to somebody else by how we teach and how we live and how we love, you would be lifted up. And we would stop making our lives about new fasts. And we would simply begin to start making them all about you and your goodness and your grace that has been so lavishly poured into us. We thank you for renewing us, for remaking us, for making us to be these fresh and new wineskins. And I ask that you would give us a deeper understanding of what that means so we would in turn love the world around us as you call us to, that we would truly be your ambassadors, that as you fill us daily with your spirit, we would go and live lives that honor you by how we honor those around us. Teach us to worship you, not just on a Sunday morning, but in every moment of our lives so that you are lifted up and the world knows how great and good you are. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.